Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we focus on sports science, an area where African football is lagging behind. Uh, GPS tracking systems are common in many parts of the world, and many countries have developed their football further through aspects of sports science, such as diet and physiotherapy. We speak to Zimbabwean sports scientist Nicholas Munyonga, who says that sports science doesn't have to be too complicated. And when you work with the heart rate, you can then be able to know whether the load that you are giving to an athlete is a load that is assisting to benefit or a load that is going to give aerobic fitness. Much more on this uh, coming up later on the show. Also, lots on the English Premier League. And Stuart analyses the Mason Greenwood saga as Greenwood will leave Manchester United. First up, the CAF Champions League, as this season's edition is underway. Uh, the first round kicked off last weekend, and the second leg's taking place this weekend. Uh, the winners of the ties go through to the second round, where the seeded teams enter. Uh, the winners of those ties qualify for the group stage. Well, former champions Asik Mimosas of Ivory Coast are in this first round. They play at home to Cotton Spore Benin after a goalless first leg. 2007 champions Etoile du Sahel of Tunisia have a useful 2-0 lead as they host CS Constantine of Algeria. The 1973 champions AS Vita of DR Congo play Primero Augusto of Angola, who won the first leg 1-0. And a 2008 runners-up Cotton Sport of Cameroon play at home to Real Bamako of Mali after a goalless first leg. So uh, some big names in the first round. Uh, much more on the African Champions League on next week's edition of the show. And asking for your thoughts this week on social media. Who do you think will win the CAF Champions League this this season. Uh, so the competition is underway. Second legs of the first round ties on this weekend. Uh, so many big names in this season's edition. So who do you think will emerge the winners? Could it be Al Athli of Egypt again as they look for a 12th title? Uh, will it be somebody else uh, walking away with the CAF Champions League this season? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Who do you think is going to win the CAF Champions League this season? Well, this week on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, our focus is on sport science, an area where African football is very much lagging behind many parts of the world. For example, we see players with those vests with the GPS tracking systems and heart rate monitors at many clubs around the world, but not many in Africa. Uh, diet has become more important and also good physiotherapists to help with injuries and many other aspects of this. Well, Zimbabwean sports scientist Nicholas Munyonga is a big expert. He's on various boards of African sports science. He says Africa is still way behind in the implementation of sports science in football. 
He spoke at a high-performance workshop for Southern African coaches recently here in Harare, and Munyanga told my colleague Simba Chiminya that African coaches are using guesswork in assessing the strength and fitness of players rather than using sports science. Actually, I think the biggest challenge is uh, when we introduce sports science to Africa, we tend to introduce the, it covered the, in a, a lot of um, uh, scientific jargon uh, and uh, our coaches won't be matching to that level of education. We tend to bring it covered in expensive equipment. If you look at uh, the equipment that we use for uh, GPS athlete tracking systems, so it then faces resistance. But the approach that we are doing is to try and break things down closer to home from an explanation point of view, from a starting point of view, and so forth. You find that uh, there are a lot of uh, cheaper, simpler gadgets than the ones that are tend to be used in, uh, in uh, developed leagues that we can start with in Africa. You find that uh, one of the most important tools in terms of uh, application of sports science uh, in our in our sports is uh, simply measuring heart rates and uh, when you work with a heart rate you can then be able to know whether the load that you are giving to an athlete is a load that is assisting to benefit or a load that is going to give aerobic fitness because you are just checking uh, uh, the heart rate at which the athlete is operating it when you are loading that athlete from both uh, metabolic loading and uh, structural uh, or mechanical loading. So from that perspective, I think there is a lot that we need to do to make sure that uh, we go in there and be able to support African sports by simplifying uh, sports science. But uh, how lagging behind is uh, African football or African sport uh, to sports science? I think uh, we, we are pretty much behind. Because if you look at uh, the dominance of um, teams like uh, Arkley in uh, Egypt, when you look at uh, uh, Wydad in Morocco, they are, they are there because they follow the principles of sports medicine. And they become then perennial winners of the African Champions League. And uh, from that perspective, at club level, you can see how far we lag behind. Secondly, when you also look at our players when they come to play for various national teams, without being told when you just look at uh, the conditioning of their bodies, you can be able to tell that ah, those four players they play outside of Africa and those other six players they play in Africa because using a naked eye, of course, you are able to just see. And then when you subject them to actual scientific tests and measurements, there is a big gap between the local African player playing locally and the same African player playing abroad. And see, uh, there, there is quite a wide gap. At the moment, you find that uh, most sports science graduates are working as uh, physical education teachers in schools. Uh, again, it's a waste of a resource. It's a waste of manpower that we can capitalize and use to push uh, sports science in Africa. Uh, you touched on uh, the fact that uh, most of the graduates are working elsewhere, not uh, you know in the field that they are supposed to work. But why is it that uh, in Africa it's really difficult uh, for the coaches or the clubs uh, to really accept this sports science? I think it comes from a, a budget point of view to start off with. 
it's very difficult to find a team that has a budget that talks of uh, sports science and sports medicine. These are the uh, pre-competition uh, medical assessments budget that we have, the nutritional evaluation budget that we are going to do. This is the budget for our medical and sports science interventions that we are going to do. And you find then that because at administration level there is lack of appreciation, the sports medicine and sports science team are placed way down uh, the, the peck and in some situations not even known about secondly it's the pressure that is given to, 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 to the coaches so they just then end up playing hit and run football uh, because they have to win because their contracts are not respected a coach who signs a three-year contract is fired after six games and is not compensated for the remainder of the contract and that creates pressure on the coaches. This is why they then concentrate on having to win their games by any means necessary. And they would then abandon any form of advice that they would get from their sports science or sports medical team or their um, other support structures that they have. It is because of that. Once we start respecting contracts for players, for coaches, for everyone, you will find that it creates a platform in terms of changing how we apply sports science as far as our sport is concerned and you sit on uh, many platforms uh, on the continent on sports science what would you want to see unfolding uh, going into the next few years i think what i want to see unfold is where we also have uh, representatives of uh, sports science and sports medicine in the actual decision making processes uh, where you find that uh, maybe closer home where in the zifa board we we have a sports science person a sports medicine person who can articulate and understand these things when we tell them. You find that uh, as I speak, uh, we, 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 we communicate a lot of things, simple things like refresher courses uh, for, for our local uh, Premier League doctors and medics. It, it, it seems like uh, you are pushing for things that are out of this world, but you want to just enhance uh, player safety, you want to enhance improve the work that medics do, you want to make sure we speak with one language in that area. But when you speak this to administrators that don't understand what you're talking about and appreciate what needs to happen, it creates a challenge. Secondly, let's see, absorb all those sports scientists that are out there teaching to be involved in sports in one way or the other. Let's see, know that things are changing and we need to have a scientific approach to our sport and be in a position to then know the test that we need to do to measure the outcomes of what we are doing and see if we are progressing or going uh, backwards. So we need to make sure we do all that. There is a lot that we can do and the people to do that are there in Africa. They just need to be incorporated into the various structures and be used. Well, that's the Zimbabwean sports scientist Nicholas Munyonga, who's on various boards of African sports science. Uh, well, so many issues there, Ida. He says that basic things like GPS tracking systems and heart rate monitors uh, can make a huge difference, but that in Africa it's expensive and that there's jargon that overcomplicates the basics of sports science. Uh, also, the pressure for quick results for so many coaches uh, in Africa. Uh, what strikes you there, Ida? Well, sports science graduates working as PE teachers, Steve. 
I mean, that's pretty sad because that's information and that skill that ideally should be applied at a much higher level. So it does feel like it's going to waste. With that said, the awareness and uptake of sports science is definitely increasing, but ever so slightly, has to be said as well, within the continent, more so in South Africa. But it's still very much at the infancy stage, you know, where the challenges might feel like they outweigh the positives, but the push does need to continue so as to realize the other side. Steve, I shared this earlier with you, you know, that while doing my research for this week's topic, it was extremely difficult to get information on this field from an African perspective. Forget hard statistics and data. I'm talking just a basic African point of view. It was very scarce. But look, as I said, it's slowly being recognized, you know, even in other parts of sub-Saharan Africa. Kenya, for example, had a sports science and psychology team as part of the national contingent at the Tokyo Olympics. And we're also seeing sports science departments, you know, slowly springing up in different universities. But there is still a long way to go with that, because even with those, oftentimes the departments are funded by private interests, be it corporate, donors or NGOs. One of the major reasons we talk about the need for a mind shift is that traditionally Africans tend to look at things quantitatively as opposed to qualitatively. And the thing about this branch of sports is that it's very much a qualitative outcome to most of the work. 100% agreed, Steve, on how alienating the technical jargon can be. And the educational approach also needs to change within the continent. There needs to be a development of strategies to study the uniqueness of African athletes because an African body is quite different in its own right. You can have two players, Steve, can be the same age, have the same height, same weight, and appear to be similar athletes, but operate in a very different manner when we scratch under the surface. And that's what sports science has brought to the fore. And there also needs to be more gender specificity because the template that's used currently around the world is still very generic. Hard statistical science aside, sports psychologists also need to be more involved. Competition is something that oftentimes doesn't make space for too many emotions, you know, especially in the middle there. You know, you go all the way to the end, you either win or you lose, by which time the repression takes its toll. The current crop of athletes globally, Steve, has really fought this older way of thinking. I mean, we've seen big time athletes, the likes of Naomi Saka, take hiatuses for mental health. And we've seen older athletes like Michael Phelps, the swimmer, talk about the pressure that top-level competition had on his mental health. So it should very much be a holistic approach. Yeah, so many different aspects uh, to this. And uh, Ida, Dr. Munyonga there was mentioning North Africa as leaders on the continent in sports science with clubs like Al Athli in Egypt and Widat Casablanca in Morocco. 
We could also mention many clubs in South Africa. Uh, what do you think uh, sports science is achieving around the world in football, Ida? So much, Steve. I mean, if we were to look at all the achievements across different sports, then we would basically take up the entire duration of the show. But, you know, we have data now that shows which player ran the most kilometers on the pitch. We have heat maps. We have so much. But the most important thing is that it saved people's lives because if it wasn't for the role of technology in sports medicine, for example, then the likes of Denmark's Christian Eriksen, the likes of DRC's Fabrice Mwamba, well, there's a very high likelihood that they wouldn't be alive today. Having defibrillators and other equipment ready by the pitch has been the difference between life and death. And of course, a well-trained team. And this is something that Dr. Munyonga has championed for a long time, you know, even saying that he often travels with a defibrillator. Additionally, because of advancements on this front, otherwise fatal health conditions have been caught early in some players. And while in some cases that has meant early retirement, it hasn't meant death. But a small anecdote focusing on the English Premier League, Steve. Now, did you know that Middlesbrough were the first Premier League team to have a sports science department? Well, they were in the championship at the time, but you know, they had a very forward-thinking chairman, Steve Gibson, who is still the owner to date, I believe. And he'd started hearing about basic elements of sports science being applied in other European clubs, and he got curious. So he brought in a guy, a scientist, by the name Chris Barnes. He brought him to borrow. And you can only guess the reception. You know, you know how human beings respond to change. And interestingly, this resistance that we're talking about in Africa now, well, it was similar then in England, you know. Lots of skepticism. People dismissed it, you know, as just some short-term idea that would eventually run out of steam. But by the end of the season, Middlesbrough were promoted back to the Premier League. They reached the League Cup final, and this was despite losing some of their big stars. And in the next season, they were the only promoted team that had avoided relegation. So needless to say, they really, really went on and proved their point. But bringing it back to current times and even the number of games, Steve, that players can now play in a season is largely due to these advancements. Now, I'm sure that the players might not necessarily consider that to be an achievement, (laughs) considering the load on them, but the people at the top do. Advancements in recovery time means that a player at the highest level in 2023 can pack in more competition than his counterpart, say, a decade or two ago. I mean, you look at the use of VAR in football. That's also down to science and technology. And focusing on other sports, you know, some of the most exceptional things done. For example... 
when Kenyan world record holder Eliud Kipchoge became the first person to run a marathon in under two hours. Steve, something previously inconceivable, you know, it was sports science that did that. Kipchoge, of course, with a good team, but sports science, you know, and even on a layman level, the average person is now also using data when they wear their smartwatches and they measure how many calories they've burnt in a workout, meaning that it's also had a domino effect on the masses. Yes, uh, great examples there. Thanks very much, uh, Ida. No doubt about the benefits of sports science. And you'd wonder how this disadvantages African teams when it comes to the World Cup and other international competitions. So we'll see how long it takes uh, most of Africa to catch up with the sports science developments. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart with lots on the English Premier League. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. We've got a new blog up there. It's on the Women's World Cup uh, called Being Human, Making Mistakes and Receiving Forgiveness. Uh, focusing on the incident where England's star player Lauren James stamped on Nigeria's Michelle Alozi in a round of 16 game. Uh, that's on our website, planetsport.tv, and you look in the blog section. It's called Being Human, Making Mistakes and Receiving Forgiveness. Well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And uh, two games into the English Premier League season, uh, three teams have a maximum six points from their two games. Uh, that's Brighton, Manchester City and Arsenal, Stuart. Well, Steve, it's important to remember that we are only two weeks into the new season and we shouldn't get carried away and draw too many conclusions. But as you say, those three clubs uh, have won their two games and Arsenal have not looked really impressive. But isn't that what good teams do, win when they don't play really well? And incidentally, there was speculation in the summer that Thomas Partey, the Ghanaian, would leave Arsenal in the summer. But he's there and he's playing. And Steve, how do Brighton do it? Sell all your best players and keep winning. Chelsea have appointed a new manager, spent a billion dollars on, is it, 23 new players and they certainly not had the start to the season they were expecting one point out of a possible six frankly they will be relieved this weekend to have a home game against newly promoted Luton Town if they can't get a result there it really is time to start worrying the bottom two are Wolves and Everton both played two and lost two they were probably the two worst teams to survive last season and neither has really strengthened their squad. So not surprising, you might say, that they're struggling. You could really put them with Burnley, Sheffield United and Luton Town and I think those are the five in the relegation battle. Manchester United have played two games and had had 45 attempts on goal but they've scored only one goal and that came from a defender. They really look a bit... Thin up front, and they're desperately waiting for their new striker, Rasmus Hoyland, to be fit. 
Uh, Tottenham have started with an away draw and a home win over Manchester United. Early days, of course, but I think Spurs fans are enjoying the attacking football in contrast to the previous defensive or dull play under Nuno, Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte. This weekend, the big game is Newcastle at home to Liverpool. Two teams with top four aspirations. The fixtures computer certainly is throwing up lots of big games early in the season. Yes, a really interesting start to the season. Uh, transfer window is still open. Uh, Bernardo Silva deciding to stay at Manchester City uh, rather than going to Saudi Arabia. Uh, but uh, other notable moves, Sir Stuart. Mitrovic has become the latest top player to go to Saudi Arabia, leaving Fulham for Al-Hilal, where he will join Neymar, Neves and Koulibaly. And the Fulham head coach, Marco Silva, has been really quite frustrated and not hiding that frustration uh, that his top striker with 111 goals and 200 games for Fulham, in his words, has forced the situation to get away from the club this summer. Hakim Ziyech, the Moroccan Chelsea player who was linked with Saudi Arabia, has in fact gone to Galatasaray on loan. He played only 64 games for Chelsea in his three seasons, but I always thought he made a great contribution. And Steve, Luton Town have signed Tim Krull, the Dutch goalkeeper who's played 300 games for Newcastle and Norwich, and had a reputation as a penalty saver. He saved 10 penalties in his career. So I think he's a good acquisition for Luton. Yes, remember that uh, famous penalty save at the 2014 World Cup in uh, Brazil for him. And uh, Stuart, the Mason Greenwood saga much uh, talked about. Um, he won't be playing for Manchester United again. No, Mason Greenwood is 21 and he scored 22 goals in 83 league games for Manchester United, all before his 21st birthday. But now his Manchester United career is over. His last game was in January last year. Since then, he has been suspended for Manchester United after being charged with attempted rape, engaging in controlling and coercive behaviour and assault. When the UK legal authorities dropped the charges against him, there was nothing to stop him resuming his career. We understand, though, that Manchester United's decision to terminate his contract was highly influenced not just by public opinion, but particularly by Manchester United supporter opinion. The club statement said, Manchester United has concluded its investigation into the allegations against Mason Greenwood. The process commenced in February 23, following the charges against Mason being dropped. Throughout, we have taken into account the wishes, rights and perspective of the alleged victim, along with the club's standards and values and sought to collate as much information as possible. Based on the evidence available to us, we have concluded that Mason did not commit the offences in respect of which he was originally charged. That said, as Mason has publicly acknowledged, he makes mistakes and takes responsibility for his mistakes. All those involved, including Mason, recognise the difficulties for him to recommence his career at Manchester United. It has therefore been mutually agreed that it's most appropriate for him to resume playing away from Old Trafford and we will work with Mason to achieve that outcome. 
The outcome, Steve, is quite similar to what happened with Benjamin Mende, who was accused of inappropriate behaviour towards women, charged and found not guilty. But again, Manchester City decided to release him, and he's now playing in France. But a really sad end to a promising career for Manchester United and England for Mason Greenwood. Yes, and no way it was going to work out for Mason Greenwood to carry on at Manchester United. In other transfer rumours and news, Ivory Coast winger Nicolas Pepe is set to leave Arsenal and to move to Saudi Arabia after a largely disappointing time with the Gunners. He was Africa's most expensive player when he moved from Lyon in France to Arsenal. Well, Pepe has decided to turn down an offer to go to Besiktas in Turkey and could well be heading to Saudi Arabia. And a somewhat sensational rumours that Mohamed Salah might still leave leave Liverpool to go to Saudi Arabia. Al Itihad say they're confident that Salah wants out of Liverpool and they are prepared to make him the world's highest paid player. Well, uh, we keep on following this story and uh, see if uh, Salah might move to Saudi Arabia. And uh, well, Stuart, um, what else have you got for us? When Portsmouth were playing Cheltenham last week in League One, one of the assistant referees got injured. No problem. Fourth official Stephen Bryan took over. Then Brown himself got injured and an announcement was made to the crowd. Is there a qualified referee in the house? Fortunately, there was. And after a delay, a fan took over as assistant referee. This resulted in 21 minutes of stoppage time, but the game still finished nil-nil. Quite a story for the fan to share with his friends afterwards. <laughs> well, what a story. Thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Stuart Weir and from Ida Waringa, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport, Football Africa is a passion for sport production.